Hello, and welcome to Punching Out. Every week, we're here on Wayo Radio talking about the problems people have with their work, whether it's incompetent bosses or unfair policies, hostile workplaces or dismal paychecks, or anything in between. We want to hear from you. If you'd like to share your work problems with us, email us at punchingoutwayo at gmail.com and let us talk about them. Tune in and punch out. Your boss isn't listening, but we are. Hello and welcome to Punching Out. I'm Ryan, joined today by Noah. Hi, y'all. And Lou. Hey, guys. On today's show, we're going to be talking about um, the National Labor Relations Board, which has become something of a recurring character on Punching Out. This is something that matters, you know, though it doesn't get a lot of coverage on shows that are not Punching Out, I feel. Um, This is... What the NORB is, is the government's um, way of arbitrating cases involving labor, workplace abuse, you know, pretty much anything involving a workplace violation or labor law being broken. At the end of the day, it's going to end up at in the hands of the NORB, which gives the NORB a significant amount of power that we're going to explore over the course of the next hour or so. I promise it won't be as boring and in the weeds as I just made it sound. Um, Punching out presents the NLRB power hour. Yes. yes. There, there's no way to make this sound uh, thrilling and exciting, but it does matter. I mean, I don't know. It's I, I know that this is a corny way to approach the problem, right? But I think it's pretty exciting that there is a government agency whose job it is to, I mean, ideally, and we will get into why the ideally is such a big part of that, but a government agency whose entire uh, reason for existing is supposed to be to make sure that employers are not getting out of hand uh, when it comes to how they treat the workers under their control. And yes, I know that they're also supposed to, to, to sort of arbitrate between those two uh, sectors. Right. I, I think, I mean, you said their job is to keep employers you know, from getting out of hand, but their job in many ways is also to keep workers from getting out of hand. I mean, yes. that is part of why they were created uh, with the 1935 National Labor Relations Act, commonly known as the Wagner Act, something we've discussed here and there on Punching Out. It comes up probably once a month these days. This is our want. Yeah. Um, you know, basically instead of the sort of wild West conditions that existed pre FDR, pre 1935, where, uh, companies and unions were getting into, uh, shooting matches, which, you know, resulted in bloodshed and people dying and was generally not great though. Look in hindsight, seems kind of cool. Certainly more thrilling and exciting. Yes. Yes. You know, we like talking about those gunfights, but, um, You know, it was deemed that maybe we should have some sort of arbiter to oversee these things before they result in the army being called in and, you know, people being massacred, Um, which isn't to say that there weren't massacres in the years to come. But generally, they um, these, these things became less violent. You know, they were handled by law instead of force. Yes, uh, unless you call in the Pinkertons, in which case they allegedly resort to doing things like cutting phone lines. 
mm-hmm. and whatnot. Allegedly. But, you know, allegedly. And also apparently much more rarely. It's interesting um, that you mm-hmm. say that the... NLRB exists to be the arbiter and the go-between to make sure that neither side gets very out of hand. Um, Because, you know, workers famously have had a lot of power in this country and able to do whatever they want as far as employment. Running Uh, roughshod, really. Really, yeah. That's definitely something that has ever happened. Uh, There's never been a class of workers who did not have any freedoms whatsoever over their labor. That never happened in American history. Not a thing. There wasn't a war about it. Thank goodness this body exists to make sure that both sides are kept in check. Uh, Yeah. And I think that kind of, you know, talks about the the oddity that this body exists and, and the idea that there can be such a situation that workers have too much power. Um, and it kind of automatically puts the thumb on the side for business and, and employers and capital. Uh, but could be worse, I guess. I think there might be something to be said about a uh, big L liberalism and the idea that opposing forces are need to be kept in balance. But I mean, we have other government agencies that don't have this similar um, neutral role. You know, we don't have the EPA take, you know, uh, both sides approach to uh, protecting the environment and uh, dumping oil into rivers. Generally, you do when you do when Neil Gorsuch's mom is the EPA administrator. Yeah, that's for sure. Or whatever that psycho that Trump put in charge there was. In but theory, the mean. EPA's job is not to be a neutral arbiter; it is to protect the environment. Um, we saw under the Trump administration how that job can be abandoned and perverted and, you know, but the stated purpose of the EPA is to. Uh, this is this is something that we've talked about before, that the Wagner Act, um, as much as allowing for widespread legalized unionization would turn out to be a boon for many workers, that it also kind of meant long term when you enshrine one particular process into law and you say this is how you're allowed to organize and collectively bargain and all of this, um, that, as Lou said, that in and of itself puts the thumb on the business end of the scale because business can pay lawyers who can then spend all their time trying to find every possible loophole in that process. Unions generally can't. They have to scrape together the cash to hire somebody who can do that. And, you know, that's not always easy, obviously. Um, and even if you do find somebody who has the time and is willing to take the the reduced pay that they're going to get for working for a union, um, they are often not going to have the connections or the, you know, the the, the, the many things that the, the professional law runs itself on in this country that have nothing to do with the knowledge of law or what is correct or morally right. Let's not even get into that part. Um, so it makes sense that the NLRB would have this neutrality mandate because, of course, the Wagner Act is very specifically meant to uh, give employers every possible, every possible bite at the apple of where to make unionization harder. Um, not that it wasn't a good thing, netly speaking, which is not a word, but I think in in the end, what we've seen over the past 
20, 30, 40 years is that, you know, they, they only put up with it as long as the Soviet Union was a problem. And not even then. Uh, they only put up with it as long as the Soviet Union had a realistic chance of nuking the United States. And the moment that that went away, the moment that the they began making noises about maybe playing nice and signing arms control treaties, suddenly uh, that was that. And, and unions went the way or they tried to make unions go the way of the dodo, exploiting every one of those loopholes, every one of those things that were built into the Wagner Act as little uh, bomblets. I, I think it's worth talking about that process you referred to, the union election process, because when it isn't uh, shaping labor policy, this is a large part of what the NORB does is it oversees union elections. You know, if we've talked uh, very recently on the show about uh, union elections at Amazon and Starbucks, uh, Starbucks workers keep winning theirs. Um, they've got an impressive uh, streak going at this point. But um, all of those elections are overseen by the NORB, which lays down the rules for what is and is not appropriate to do in the course of an election and you know how elections take place. And there have been pushes and talks about tweaking that process. Uh, famously, Obama talked about uh, passing card check, which would have made uh, for an easier workaround to the election process, but uh, he did not pass it despite having majorities in both houses of Congress. We we don't have to get into the 2009 Congress again. (laughs) Yeah. If anything, the past decade has shown us is we need to all vote harder guys. So these elections are, you know, really what unionization boils down to in the present day. You know, this is the difference between a workplace that is unionized and one that will remain non-union. So to have like oversight over the election, sort of like um, a labor version of the FEC is um, it's significant. As a side note, I think that punching out as a branch out experiment, we need to write our own procedural since those apparently are still popular and still on the air all about the NLRB. And uh, we'll even have like our own, whatever it is, the name Sam Watterson from law and order. Like, I don't know what these characters are. I don't watch this stuff, uh, but we could write one. I think we, we can work on this. You can even brainstorm something, something now. Like I said, this is off topic. What what we need to get is the the team behind the inspectors, which was the postal service procedural. Yes. We need to get those people in this. See, the, my mind immediately went to like a a CSI OSHA spinoff. Yeah, where they're <laughs> that would like, be incredible. You know, documenting, you know, what exactly you went get most wrong of those here. Actors. I bet Ted Dancer would do it. Let's do it. Anyway. Anyway. Clearly, this is the one government body that we are really, really invested in. In talking about because uh, they affect a lot of things that we talk about all the time. I think one of the, for me, one of the notable things about this, right, is so the NLRB in some of the articles that we read in preparation for this episode is described as an independent agency. And I, it's not strictly true, but sure, let's accept that for the time being, right? And what's in what what is notable about that to me is that in most other countries, when you have agencies that do this kind of thing, they tend to be 
straightforward civil service agencies that are implementing policies handed down by the legislature and the executive branch. They, they're they not a quote-unquote board the same way that um, that the NRB is. They tend to be more like, you know, the labor investigations agency or whatever the heck. And they they are empowered to have these civil servants go and look at these things. But because the United States doesn't care about its workers, uh, we we need to establish that as the root thing here. And because it was only forced into caring by the fact that, you know, uh, the workers who were trying to unionize, uh, like that was one of the few, few ways to maybe have a country after the Great Depression, essentially. One of the only ways that maybe uh, FDR and, and the rest of them are able to continue pretending to be good people. So they, they had to allow that. And creating a, a quote-unquote neutral arbiter that is under political control is about the most American way to do that. Because um, this is a country that hates its workers. I mentioned that already. But this is also a country that doesn't trust civil servants, has never trusted civil servants. And for the longest time, and understandably, because for the longest time, every single person working for the government was a political appointee. And obviously, those things have changed over time. But in things like the the different federal commissions and so on, which should really be staffed by actual, you know, experts in what they're doing, we and and I guess technically somewhat neutral experts or people who don't have the power to make policy as they go. In the United States, it's essentially become a policy making body because we can't let um, and we'll get more into this later, but we can't let, you know, legislation happen again. Because there's the possibility of unions having more powers, and we can't allow that. Once Taft-Hartley happened, that's it. We can't have car check. We can't have the PRO Act. We can't have any nice things. Uh, doesn't matter if there are 79 Democratic votes in the Senate. They'll, they'll find a way. That cannot happen. That cannot be allowed to happen. Because the day that the American worker is truly empowered, then it's curtains. Um, I, I think there's something to be said for the nature of law and enforcement, um, maybe what laws we deem worthy of enforcement at gunpoint and what laws get handled by guys wearing suits uh, and, you know, pocket protectors. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know why I'm picturing them with pocket protectors. You know, they it don't have like to be nerds. But... NASA nerds. Yeah. yeah. Like, I mean, are... I bet if you put NASA nerds in charge of labor law violations, some, some interesting things would result from that. But... You know, we've heard so much about uh, crime running rampant in recent months, and mostly that's a fiction that's, you know, uh, selective statistics and what have you. But there's a lot of um, law breaking that we don't treat with the same sensationalism. Uh, A company doing wage theft is not going to make the front page of the New York Post in the way that a single burglar at a 7-Eleven will. The NORB um, are, as one political headline referred to them, uh, labor cops. But there's a very different um, attitude towards uh, funding the labor cops and giving them enforcement powers than to funding the actual cops and giving them enforcement powers and protections and valorization. 
Yeah. yeah. Not only that, but there's a, a long history that we've talked about many times on the show of actual cops, the the gun cops, um, citing very heavily with business and employers against labor. So, you know, these are labor cops, but they don't have the same equality. The worst that they can do for the most part is give you a fine. And if you can afford a fine, that doesn't make it illegal. Yep. And the fines are, again, a very antiquated system, which is something that the current NLRB is thinking, you know, how are they going to change this? Because they can set precedent for for labor law, uh, appealable precedent and with the current Supreme Court effectively, you know, repealable precedent. Because I, I think we said on this show that, and the Fifth Circuit made it obvious this week, that the current federal judiciary has been set up to basically destroy any semblance of the idea that the government has a right to administer anything or enforce anything. Espe- uh, oh, sorry, or enforce anything on like a corporation. On a person, especially a person of color or a woman or uh, somebody who isn't straight and cis, then yes, absolutely, and force away at gunpoint, whatever you want. But as long as it's on a corporation, no, they are more people than you or I are, than than any of us in this room are. And, and that, that seems like a mm-hmm. joke, but it really isn't, and it's one hundred percent actual fact. Mitt, Mitt Romney turned out to not just be stating fact, but stating what the actual platform of the Republican Party is. And I know that none of us are big fans of either major party in this country, but it, the judges were appointed by one party. Uh, this this is a Federalist Society project, and I'm kind of surprised that we haven't yet heard a challenge to the existence of the National Labor Relations Board. I have to imagine it's not too far down the pike. At any rate, what I wanted to say here is that because of that, because the gun cops ally with business, their whole job is protecting property anyway, because um, we don't treat wage theft and labor law violations the same way that we treat, you know, one case of shoplifting or whatever. Um, The result of all of that is that it's Wild because whenever you hear talk about other countries, if somebody is effectively immune from prosecution or if there's, you know, an openly corrupt person, we're supposed to think that that country's not really democratic or that that country doesn't have its stuff together, especially if the people there are not white. But here in the United States, if you are any kind of corporate executive, you are effectively immunized from prosecution. Nobody's ever, ever. Jeff Bezos will not wear a pair of handcuffs he didn't ask to wear in the rest of his life. That's never going to happen. Elon Musk will never have to pay a fine he actually cares about unless we make him. And that is very unlikely to happen because he was about to try and challenge the SEC as a whole. So when you have that, and if you're an American and you look at this country at this point, I don't really know how you can be anything but embarrassed because we are the country. Sorry, really, I have never felt less American than this. Y'all are the country that your press spends all of its time making fun of. I know that because I'm from one of those places. And it gets constantly made fun of that way. Our government agencies and our police get told how corrupt they are, which they are. But they're that way because they're favoring American corporations and American people over the citizens of Puerto Rico over the people that they're supposed to serve, that elected them. 
So the NLRB, and, and this is segment two stuff, but occasionally does actually manage to stand up for the American worker. And that alone makes it rare amidst these agencies. The fact that they actually treat these things like they matter. Because 99% of people, 99% of the time, do not care. As you mentioned, we're moving on sort of into uh, what we plan to discuss in our second segment. And now would be a good time to take a break so that we can uh, fully prepare for that segment. Uh, We'll be back. You're listening to Punching Out on WAYOLP Rochester. If you'd like to continue slacking off, you can find all of our past episodes on iTunes and SoundCloud. Remember, your boss isn't listening, but we are. Welcome back to Punching Out. I'm Ryan, joined still by Noah. Still hi, y'all. And Lou. Hey, guys. Uh, We've been discussing the National Labor Relations Board, which um, oversees labor law in the United States and, you know, make sure that both sides play fair when it comes to union elections and things of that nature. It is a board that oversees labor relations in the nation. Yes, it's very (sighs) self-descriptive. In this segment, we're going to talk a bit more about really the reason we're talking about the NLRB in the first place, which is that under Joe Biden, uh, under his administration, the NLRB has taken a more active role in actually protecting workers and actually like making things a little bit easier for organized labor and for those seeking to organize laborers. Uh, Specifically, there's been a you know, his appointee on the board has made it a three-two towards the more liberal faction of the board, which has enabled the the undoing of a lot of the more vile things that had been done um, under the Trump administration. Um, some some of those things we touched on in past episodes, but you know, they never got as much um, attention as the uh, more uh, high-profile violations the Trump administration was doing. Um, or one of those things where if you do enough wrong, uh, people will not notice the little wrong. That that administration wrongs. loved nothing more than to violate the law. Yes, it, so. it was a hobby and a passion, and we should all have something we're so passionate about. They were doing it at, at some points just for the love of the game. Yeah, yeah. Real lunch pail crime doers. Remember when they did, and this still blows my mind, The when they decided that if your company offers paternity leave, paid paternity leave, you couldn't take that concurrently with FMLA, or you had to take it like after FMLA uh, was like, whatever, you, you ran out of FMLA is what I'm trying to say. Like that, that ruling still drives me up the wall because it made no sense. Anyways. As an example of the little dumb things that the Trump administration liked to do. Um, I'm going to quote now from an article in the New Republic titled, uh, The National Labor Relations Board is Finally Doing Its Job. (laughs) Uh, Quote, under Trump, NLRB enforcement withered. Uh, Their lead counsel was a man named um, Peter Robb. uh, Which is what uh, he did. (laughs) Yes. 
Rob settled for a pitiful 172000 an ambitious case brought by his Democratic predecessor that documented widespread labor violations at McDonald's franchises, which the corporation was plainly complicit. Rob tried unsuccessfully to demote the regional directors en masse. Morale cratered with surveys recording rapidly growing employee dissatisfaction. During Rob's first two years, the NORB staff shrank by 13%. This all reflected the administration's wider anti-union agenda. Trump decried on Twitter dues crazy unions that rip off their membership. He harassed federal employee unions through executive orders and weakened worker safety protections. Um, you know, the NLRB under Trump also, uh, uh, I think, gutted like the joint employer standard, yes. which um, made companies like McDonald's more vulnerable to lawsuits from their employees. Uh, and or rather, the standard that them gutting it yes. made them less vulnerable. Yes, but um, the the idea being that instead of treating each McDonald's franchise as its own individual entity, um, you could cite a pattern of abuse and hold it against the employer as a whole instead of um, trying to nickel and dime them one at a time, um, which Trump undid, um, and. So the thing we're talking about on today's episode is really the fact that under Biden, uh, the NORB is reversing some of those changes and going further even than his Democratic predecessor, Obama. Uh, the new lead counsel for the NORB is a woman by the name of Jennifer Abruzzo, um, and she has been pretty vocal and uh, active in her job of like, like enforcing labor law. Insane, right? It's it's wild what you can do when you give a damn. I mean, I by the way, given what I said in the last segment, I think it's important to note Jennifer Abruzzo is a career civil servant who came up through the NLRB and eventually rose to become deputy general counsel during the Obama administration before she then left during the Trump one to become, uh, I think, general counsel to the communications workers of America. So... This is a person who went up through the ranks of this agency and has every reason to believe in its mission. Peter Robb, on the other hand, is human garbage who helped Ronald Reagan break the air traffic controllers again and should never have been allowed anywhere near anything that had labor in the name, except if it was preceded by the word hard. So unfortunate. And so that that's the change that you can make when you put the right people in charge. And in fact, I have to say, we are not in the habit of praising uh, Joseph Robinette Biden on this show, but not only was it a good move to put Jennifer Abruzzo in charge of the NLRB, the summary dismissal of Peter Robb on inauguration day, like he didn't even get to get to the end of the work day before he was informed he was fired, was the funniest thing this administration has done. It was because you're not supposed to do that. It is a political appointee, but typically they're allowed to follow their term. And they got in and with it, they were like, nope, you're gone. Get out. Pack your crap. Uh, Which, well deserved. Good for him. I wish nothing but the worst. Yeah. Once again, to be the, you know, bucket of cold water over our celebrations. I feel like the only reason he could do that is because so few people gave two poops about what uh, the NLRB was doing up to that point. If and if if it were 
any higher profile agency, he would not have done it. But you know what? Good on Joe. And this is probably the only area that he has been anything like the red scourge that the Republican Party likes to make him out to be. Um, Just to give a couple examples of things that uh, Abruzzo and the NLRB has done under her lead, um, this New Republic article notes that uh, she, she wrote a memo arguing that College athletes are employees instead of the uh, student athlete designation that has been imposed upon them by the NCAA for decades. And as employees, they would have the right to unionize and uh, ask for pay and benefits, which currently they do not. Um, She basically single-handedly shut down um, captive audience meetings, uh, holding them to be against basically uh, labor law as it exists. Yeah. Um, Captive audience meetings being uh, the ability for companies to make all of their um, employees attend a meeting where uh, they will be subjected to anti-union messaging, especially in the buildup to a union election. These are common tactics. Uh, We've talked about them in pretty much every union fight we've discussed in recent years uh, because they're an effective tactic for employers and, you know, they stick to what works. So, these are just a couple of small ways in which like just simple leadership is making a pretty significant difference. And with Abruzzo in particular, I think something that is uh, important to note is the degree to which, you know, like if you've read any amount of legal paperwork, of court paperwork in this country, you know what lawyers are like when they talk and when they write. And it can sometimes be downright um, just intractable because lawyers are basically trained to if, – if you're a lawyer who works in a politically important area of law like labor law is, you are basically trained to just make the political point you want to make and draw the friendliest judge you can and that's it. You don't really need to do anything else at that point, especially if you're on the right where all you need is you know the judge that you went to law school with 15 years ago and then boom, you're done. You got your case. Um, and she is not, and I mean, not that she's not basing any of this on the law. Obviously she is, but she's pretty open about the fact that she says, no, this is not in concordance with the spirit of the law, which is a phrase that has completely disappeared from American legal discourse. Um, I, there's one person who ever talks about it and it's Sonia Sotomayor. Even like the other liberals on the Supreme court can't bring themselves to talk about the fact that there should be something beyond, you know, textualism or originalism, because this country has no imagination left. And Abruzzo is one of the few people who does, like she's willing to think about what exactly does this law intend to do? What was its point? What problem was it meant to solve? And if you keep it from solving that problem, then you are in violation of it. This is, again, an expansive power that we give to cops and prosecutors all of the time for a host of other things. But for some reason, when it comes to corporations fighting a union election, suddenly it's the union that has to dot its I's and cross its T's and make sure that everything is correct or they're not going to get the vote. Or the corporation can say, well, this you know, isn't a violation after all because technicality this and language that and loophole the other thing. And Abruzzo just has no time for any of that. It's actually really refreshing to see somebody 
who talks about corporations the way that they deserve to be talked about as people who are constantly committing crimes and evading successfully the penalties. Just earlier this month, the NLRB um, filed complaints against both Amazon and Starbucks uh, for the ways they've been uh, union busting, the ways they have been trying to suppress unionization at their companies, uh, Starbucks less successfully than Amazon so far. I'm going to quote here from the New York Times. Um, In a sign that federal labor officials are closely scrutinizing management behavior during union campaigns, the NORB said Friday that it found merit in accusations that Amazon and Starbucks had violated labor law. And this is separate to the NORB finding that uh, Starbucks had committed over 200 violations of the National Labor Relations Act uh, that, that same week earlier this month. So uh, Starbucks is buying in bulk uh, when it comes to violations. Um, 200's a lot. Like that's a lot of uh, crimes to do. But well, when you have a when you have a genius like yes. Howard Schultz leading the way, I mean, you can only be great. Yeah, they're taking the shotgun approach to union busting. They're not being surgical. They're just saying, let's let's do everything. Let's do all of the violations all at once. What are they going to do about us? Fine it. Like, who cares? It's not like it's going to send any of them to jail. That's the thing, too. The, the NLRB, and we should note, the NLRB doesn't actually have the power, right? I, I remember reading this. All they can mandate is back pay, yes, and that's they, it. They can't issue fines. They can... Yeah. Fines larger than just giving workers what they were owed in the first place. Yeah. Which, again, for things like anti-discrimination allegations and things like that, you can collect pretty big damages for that if you can prove it, which is its own morass. But when it comes to the NRB's enforcement powers, Abruzzo, again, has talked about expanding what back pay can mean to include things like health benefits, uh, the cost of running a second union election. Things like that, which, again, is the kind of creativity and the kind of leadership that we talk constantly about wanting in this country. Like if Abruzzo was talking about these things and she was on the other side of the equation and she was an employment attorney, you know, in the in the uh, or employer's attorney, I should say, in the mirror universe, then we would be applauding that. We would say, oh, here's an imaginative and, and smart person and all of that. But because she's working for the NLRB, what we get outside of like, you know, the new Republic and the nation is a discussion of how this is a labor cop, of how they this is a pretense of how this is the NLRB overextending its boundaries, because this is, again, not a country that believes that workers should have any power. And the worst part about it is that, not to put too fine a point on it, but like the majority of us don't know about these things. We're, we are not aware that the NLRB is doing this. And it would be one thing if the Biden administration or if the media were covering this in some detail and could say, like, look what we're trying to do. It would be nice if you backed us on this instead of just saying, hey, you got to vote for us, even though you don't know what the hell we're doing. Uh, I will say to its credit, the uh, New York Times has this lengthy article about the uh, board's findings against Amazon and Starbucks. Um just, just to give some examples of the violations we're talking about, uh, quote, accusations include firing employees in retaliation for supporting the union, threatening, threatening 
employees' ability to receive new benefits if they choose to unionize, requiring workers to be available for a minimum number of hours to remain employed at a unionized store without bargaining over the change as a way to force out at least one union supporter, and effectively promising benefits to workers if they decide not to unionize. Now, all of these are fairly common tactics in union elections for employers to utilize in trying to stop unions. But it's under the Biden administration that the NLRB is actually taking an effort to uh, do away with these practices, to treat them like the violations that they are. To quote the New Republic headline again, it's really just uh, finally doing its job, uh, which unfortunately is so often been neglected. In fact, just doing its job has been met with allegations or accusations from Amazon in particular that they're overstepping and, you know, making it such that the unions are too easy to uh, organize. Uh, There is an article from The Verge uh, headline from April of this year, April 8th. Uh, by Mitchell Clark, Amazon Union says Union and NLRB suppressed and influenced Staten Island election. The Staten Island election being the Amazon election, which they actually won, or the Union actually won. Uh, Amazon just goes on to basically say that the NLRB, by basically allowing an election, violated the terms of Union elections, kind of. That was my reading of it. Anyways, they were very vague in, in how they were uh, in the ex- accusations. They never actually provided a list of what their accusations were that the NLRB, you know, overstepped. Well, they basically said the NLRB overstepped by doing anything and then said, you know, this was undue influence, at least as bad as what they accused us of doing at the other factory, which, by the way, they only mentioned the part about the mailbox, which isn't even close to everything they were accused of doing. Mm-hmm. Like, Amazon changed the traffic lights outside of its <laughs> facilities, uh, things like that, and basically said, that's just as bad, so the NLRB should have to run the election again because clearly, you know, they they influenced the outcome at JFK, and they let... I think they said that they let the ALU organizers hand weed out at things. So, you know, Amazon, uh, uh, decidedly uh, uncool company all of a sudden. Uh, <laughs> NLRB. Real, real squares over there. Yeah. NLRB, sunglasses and leather jackets. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> Jeff, uh, we've come a long way since the days when uh, people were supposed to praise Jeff Bezos for wearing a puffy vest and a T-shirt and walking around in sunglasses. This is a thing with rich people in this country, with corporations in this country, with uh, groups of people whom I will not name in this country. This idea that like you no longer that anybody resisting your domination over everything doesn't that they can win, not even that they will, not even that they have a good chance, but that it can happen at all sends them into paroxysms of rage like they throw tantrums all over the place because that's what schultz has been doing that's what amazon has been doing this is a baby of spoiled brat baby not getting its way that's all it is and unbelievably for some reason there are like millions of americans that show up to defend the baby 
And they're the people, they're also somehow the people that tend to call everybody else soft and weak and incapable of like, you know, making their own decisions or whatever. But they show up to defend Jeff Bezos. Surely, no, at this point, you know that babies and the unborn are the only creatures that matter in this country. Yep. Well, yeah. That's another day. We'll talk yes. about that some other time. Um, th- I, I do have to note there's like a political article from earlier this month that runs down a lot of what the NORB under Biden has done. And uh, it's just amusing to me that the uh, uh, article is presented by Kroger, which takes time to note in a paragraph underneath the text of the article. uh, At Kroger, we take seriously our role as one of America's largest employers. Since 2018, we've invested more than $4.5 billion in wage increases. Um, Things like that. Um, Just very, um, a little um, doth protest too much for my tastes. And and in in the case of Kroger... The great thing about investing money in wage increases is that you can always take back that money like Kroger did with their hazard pay during the pandemic. Amen. Yeah. And, and this is sort of one of the issues why political or one of the reasons why Politico is not going to come forcefully out in favor of the NORB because their sponsors would not care for that. Uh, Kroger would ultimately have uh fewer ad dollars to spend on Politico if Politico was uh, singing the praises of Jennifer Abruzzo instead of painting as a, you know, a sort of in the weeds conflict between nerds. Do I have more to say on Abruzzo and the NORB under Biden? Um, more thoughts or should, should we wrap up this segment and move on? This lady gets a gold star from me. I never say that about any government actor whatsoever. So A++. And again, I think that's because her current role is as a political appointee, but this is a person who has been a field agent for the NLRB. Like this is a person who's had to actually show up and see labor law violations with her own eyes, argue with employers and all of those. And I have to imagine, because you get you get cops like saying, oh, it's fine that, you know, I shot an unarmed person uh, that I could have easily restrained because – the siege mentality of the streets makes me see everybody as a potential enemy, especially if they don't have the same skin color I do. And meanwhile, for some reason, we're not supposed to expect that after a lifetime, after a whole career of looking at bosses who want to treat their workers like slaves, because that is what they want to do. That you are not going to come out swinging when you're given the top job with the ability to remake policy in this way. Like, I think it matters that she's not somebody that got brought in by, you know, this wasn't a a James Carville pick. This wasn't somebody from outside the Democratic Party. You know, Nate Silver wasn't saying this was a good idea. I think it matters that this is somebody who worked in the government, saw this happen for 23 years. That matters. Seeing that for 20 plus years, that's going to turn you into what Abruzzo is now, which is an actual champion of workers, which is a rare thing. Because as we've note as we've noted already, famous, you know, the, the card check proposal under the Obama administration that went nowhere, neither did anything else under that administration, really, labor-wise. So this is this is a very odd thing we're seeing in our lifetimes. When we come back after this break, we'll talk a bit about um, you know, what 
an activist NLRB would look like as opposed to just merely an active one. We'll be back. You're listening to Punching Out on Wayo 104.3. You can subscribe to the show or listen to past episodes on iTunes, SoundCloud, and other podcast apps. We are also on Facebook and Twitter at Punching Out Wayo. Now back to the show. Welcome back to Punching Out. I'm Ryan, joined still by Noah. Boards. And Lou. Yeah. <laughs> that was a good one. We spent the first 45 minutes or so today talking about the National Labor Relations Board, which under Joe Biden's administration has taken a more active role in actually enforcing labor law and, you know, making some modest changes to labor law in the process. Uh, we talked about how Jennifer Abruzzo, the uh, NORB's lead counsel now, uh, more or less single-handedly did away with captive audience meetings, which were a uh, tried-and-true tactic of union busters uh, the country over. Uh, and I, I think it's worth examining the fact that that happened through like an NORB memo and part of it's like ruling against companies that were engaging in the practice of union busting. Um, because ending captive audience meetings was also a key plank in the PRO Act, which we discussed on this show about a year ago now at this point, and you know, never made it through the Senate because nothing really does. Um, we didn't vote hard enough. Yeah. Um, th- there's something that needs to be explored here about how the NORB is taking an active role in, you know, sort of shaping labor regulations and all this. And, you know, we can get excited about that, but really they're doing that in lieu of actual changes to the law. They are enforcing the existing law as it exists and, you know, to the spirit of the law, which is not an extent that usually gets enforced, but they are still nonetheless fairly bound by that law. We've talked about the failings of the national labor relations act and how it was uh, undercut further by Taft Hartley about a decade later. You know, the fact that these things can't get passed into law and are thus subject to, you know, whatever crony, the next Trump administration will uh, put in charge. That's not great. It's not ideal. It's not what you would want in an ideal situation. Um, what would we want from an ideal situation? Democrats to do like anything, just anything would be neat. That'd be cool. Yeah. It'd be, it'd be great if, um, to, to go the, the defensive route that a lot of very high bound Democrats take, it would be nice if Joe Manchin, who styled himself an organized labor guy, a union guy, a guy who likes his coal miners and all of that, maybe had you know pushed harder for that pro act. That would have been cool. That would have been great. It didn't happen. Um, and it would have been nice if we got in card check when there was a supermajority, and we didn't do either of those things. So maybe the ideal situation now is to I, – I think I saw this, and this is a very silly social media suggestion, kind of like you know the trillion-dollar coin and all that. but. Honestly, somebody should suggest taking the entire military budget and handing it to the NLRB. Give them some nuclear weapons while we're at it. 
I, That's yeah. not a bad idea. I would love to see what Jenna Bruto can do with a nuke. Give Jen <laughs> Bruto a tank. Yes. Yeah. Get them a Gundam. Yes. That, that's what we'll finally do it. <laughs> see, but, okay, but the thing is, but we joke. But we said before <laughs> on this show that this country only respects you if you have a gun. This is true. And if you want to get corporations in line, if that's what you want to do, then they need to be worried about that. They need to be worried that at some point, a bunch of burly dudes with a bunch <laughs> of like high powered weapons are going to bust into their offices and take them prisoner. That's the only way any of this gets solved. Now, and what you just described sounds a lot like the uh, pre NORA days. Uh, yes. Okay. Hmm. <laughs> I wonder why that might be. If possibly it's that, you know, these neo feudalist bats only seem to respect physical violence when it comes down to it because they sure don't yeah. respect the law they break it with abandon and in some cases howard schultz a degree of panache and what we have now is a system that has no effective response to them unless you appoint somebody like a bruto and even then it's not like she can again single-handedly she can't fix everything she's right. one person and we have to contend with the fact that eventually some of this is going to end up in front of Neil Gorsuch, who is going to say, if Congress wanted to give us a law that did this, then they would have done it already, knowing full well that that's not going to happen. Right. Also, arbitration is great. There we go. That's my <laughs> Neil Gorsuch impression. Um, so there, there is a point at which I think if you want the ideal NLRB has a much expanded budget much expanded staff, but failing that at least should be a leading communicator and an active communicator of what people's rights are as workers and should be, which it is being an effective supporter of those rights. Because I think part of the reason that we are where we are is that every American in this country has a right to say on some level, uh, unless you're hella rich the government doesn't support me the government doesn't help me the government doesn't do enough for me every american has the right to say that except for if you're a billionaire or actually if you're a one percenter you're you're probably in there um and one of the ways in which you could blunt the impact of that one of the ways in which you could get people to be less apathetic one of the ways in which maybe more legislation happens and more things happen in congress is if People see that there is a government agency that is doing good things and saying to you, help us do more good things for you. Mm-hmm. You know, take action. I, I'm speaking here as somebody who has, I'm not going to say I've tried to lead a unionization drive because there are many reasons I can't, but I work in a non-union workplace and an NLRB that was openly activist might make that a much easier push with a lot of my coworkers who are aware of all of the problems we're having, but don't want to rock the boat and don't understand what infrastructure is there to support a nascent union. Um, what you said reminds me of a, a, a book that I came across in college. One of my professors talked a lot about it. It was, I, I think the idea the title or the main idea was this thing called the shadow state, um, which is less cool than it sounds. Um, it was the notion that since maybe the forties or fifties, a lot of what the government actually does to help people gets buried 
in minutia and on like page 700 of interminable like tax credit bills. Um, so like the Bill Clinton administration, you know, said that it passed X, Y, and Z for, you know, working people, but working people never really saw that effect. They saw maybe a little less here or there from one program or another, but there wasn't really an effort to make those programs visible. They were, you know, after the fact, tax credits, little things that are in stark contrast to, say, uh, the New Deal, like the Public Works Administration, like all of those things were highly visible and were part of their communities in a way that the government and the Democratic Party really has gotten away from. They have chosen instead to hide all their benefits in, under, you know, page 73 and you've got to dot your T's and cross your I's in order to receive a fraction of them. It, the end result being what you said, Noah, which is that we have a country that doesn't expect the government to do anything. And so it doesn't really invest itself in trying to make that government better. Well, it, it's exactly it's exactly what both of you have said. The only addition I'll add is that we have two parties in this country, one who one that is invested in actively making everything worse for a overwhelming majority of us. Uh, just that that's the only way I can interpret what the Republican Party is doing. And we have another party that's obsessed with norms and obsessed with these little minutia and dotting the I's and crossing the T's and, and doing all that so that even if there was an intention to do good for the average person, it is so far buried, exactly as you said, on page 700, that it is effectively non-existent to the point where I can say, I don't feel like that is a priority in the least. Like, once again, going back to the Roe v. Wade thing, which I do want to talk about more, their obsession with how that was leaked is so much more important in their minds than the fact that there's going to be more than 50% of this country who are going to be made second-class citizens by the fact that we cannot access healthcare in the same way that other people can. That, that's their concern, not the actual fact. It was the procedure. And the NLRB up until Abruzio has has actually honestly done some really stellar leadership and actually pushing it and talking about the spirit of the law that has been obsessed with the minutiae and the the norms and making sure that that uh well it's not strictly illegal for a company to have anti-union meet closed door mandatory meetings, but the union certainly isn't going to get that same access. In fact, in many cases, the union isn't going to be able to be on the grounds at all in yeah, many cases. The Supreme and in Court many made sure of that. Yeah. So so the insistence in following norms and not ever thinking about the effects of them or ignoring the effects because they want to preserve the status quo more than anything else in the world. Ha is the biggest reason why we cannot get anything done in this country. Like we can't make anything better for anyone because we have one party making everything actively worse and the other one concerned that uh, about the visuals of it more than anything and, else. And, 
and I'll I'll jump in and, and do something that I don't often do because I bow to no one in how much I do not trust the Democratic Party to do the right thing. But what I will say is it's not that I I it's not even that I understand that obsession with norms, but and maybe this is just living through the last couple of years and seeing what even people that I thought had respectable ethical, you know, makeups, toolkits, uh, uh, turned into over the course of the pandemic. But I think the Democrats have this problem where they assume that the moment that they don't do everything exactly the right way, they will be turned on by people who otherwise would support them. And while I don't think they're right in the sense that I think that would actually if they were willing to just up and say, like, damn the torpedoes, we're going to do this, we're going to do this, we're going to do the other thing, I think they would gain support uh, It that would offset what they would lose if they were actually willing to go in front and make those promises. And the proof is that Biden did that and then immediately pulled back on a bunch of them the moment he got elected. But they're not wrong that this country as a whole, and it's not just the media machine, and it's not just the cops, and it's not just conservatives, has a real problem with the idea that working people should have power, that they should have any kind of ownership over their workplaces or over the country at large. This, it is in the American spirit that that should not happen. There is an obsession with individualism. There is an obsession with power over other people, not with other people, but over them. And there is this whole like, Temporarily embarrassed millionaireitis, where every single person in this country at some point has a phase that they have to break out of to become like a full grown adult, where they like learn that they're never going to have the pie. They are never going to be Bezos. They are never going to be Schultz. Nobody can be Schultz. He's a genius. They are never going to be Elon Musk. They're never going to be any of these other people. And the sooner they realize that, the sooner they can become an actual citizen and an actual grown person instead of what most of this country is, which is a bunch of emotional adolescents that get mad when you tell them they can't do something because they have no power over their circumstances. And they have no power over their circumstances because they are refusing to have that power collectively. The moment that they start thinking of it in that way, and this is where an activist NLRB can help. This is where a government that gives a damn can help by backing these efforts. The moment that they start doing that, then maybe things get better. Then maybe it doesn't matter what Neil Gorsuch thinks, which in a country that made sense, it wouldn't. Then maybe we have a world that makes sense. And a world that makes sense would be uh, much preferable to this one. Um, Amen. I think all of that was very well said and uh, impassioned and well put. Um, for this week, I'm Ryan. I'm Lou. I was Noah. And this was Punching Out. You've been listening to Punching Out. You can find us on Facebook and on Twitter at Punching Out Wayo. Email us your work stories, complaints, and struggles to punchingoutwayo at gmail.com. Punching Out is a project of the Punching Out Collective. Our producer is Ryan Brister. Music for Punching Out is provided by Ariel Cruz. 
Tune in next week for more Punching Out. And remember, your boss isn't listening, but we are.